I would like to call to order the evening session of the Vale Town Council. Uh, it is 5.02 and we have all council members present. We have Russ Forrest, Matt Muir, and our first item of the day is executive session. So we'll look for Barry. This is you. If you've done all the big ones, this executive session. Move that we move into executive oh. session according to CRS <laughs> 246402-4B to hold a conference with the town attorney to receive legal advice on specific legal questions on the topic of SMB Vale LLC versus Town of Vale et al. Case number 2023-CV-300099. And Jonathan, uh, will you please add to your motion um, also an executive session topic, the additional executive session topic under uh, CRS 246-4024A um, to discuss the purchase acquisition lease uh, or sale of any uh, real property and also uh, 246-4024E to, 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 to develop a negotiation strategy and instruct negotiators regarding a potential property sale or acquisition, which um, just for the record, we weren't aware of uh, last week in order to put it on the, executive, put it on the agenda, but uh, a potential real estate deal has come to our attention and, and we, we're not gonna state any, any further information about that real estate deal uh, because the statute allows us to say just enough without jeopardizing the purpose for the executive session, I believe stating more than what we stated would jeopardize that purpose. I would like to add so that to my motion. <laughs> Thanks. Second. Great. We've got a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. I am also in favor. Anyone opposed? Motion carries 7-0. It is 6 o'clock and we've got all seven council members here. Russ, town manager, Kathleen Halloran, Deputy Town Manager, and first up we have um, citizen participation. This is an opportunity for anyone from the community to speak uh, for three minutes on a topic that's not on the agenda, and so you can either do that in person or on Zoom. So just uh, step up to the mic and say your name, and we'd love to hear from you. Hello, my name is Declan Cunningham. I'm a sophomore at Vail Mountain School, and I'm a member of the Environmental Club. When I learned about Colorado passing House Bill 211162, the Plastic Pollution Reduction Act, I was happy to hear that the town of Vail had expanded its ban on plastic bags to all stores and is now in phase two of the Plastic Reduction Act. This includes styrofoam cups and containers that will also be banned from restaurants in Vail. I've been fortunate enough to spend some time with the mayor of Frisco, Mr. Hunter Morrison, and I found out that this past fall, the town of Frisco's town council has decided to ban the sale of single-use plastic water bottles. Plastic water bottles can still be purchased, but they must be over a size in gallon. Stores or restaurants will no longer sell single-use plastic water bottles. Recently, the town of Breckenridge passed a similar ordinance that starts in July. Businesses in Breck won't be allowed to sell plastic water bottles or give out plastic silverware. Plastic is primarily made from fossil fuel-based chemicals. It is estimated that only 9% of plastic that's produced ends up being recycled. 
Plastic waste ends up in our rivers, lakes, and oceans. Plastic waste doesn't break down completely. It turns into microplastics. These microplastics end up in our waterways and are eaten by wildlife. Microplastics have even been found in human blood samples. Here in the Vale Valley, we are very fortunate to have an excellent water source and great tasting water. We really do not need to be selling single-use plastic water bottles when our tap water is so good. On July 1st, 2024, it is considered phase three of the Plastic Pollution Reduction Act. This is when towns can enact more strict laws to manage or restrict plastics. In phase three, would this town council please consider banning the sale of small, single-use plastic water bottles? This would match the policy of Frisco and Breckenridge. I know you have a planning and environmental commission. Would you consider asking them to add this to their agenda? Vail could be looked at as one of the leaders in, in the mountain communities for implementing the Plastic Pollution Redu Reduction Act. I know this would require educating businesses and the public. This is something that my school's environmental club and I would gladly assist the Environmental Sustainability Department in implementing. Thank you for your time and consideration. Well done. Thank and you. on time. I'm so glad I was not at BMS and had Mr. Sappenfield make me come up here and do that. But well done. Yeah. I, my guess is there would be a group of us that would be open to having staff look into that and have a conversation about it. Yes. So. Perfect. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well done, Ross. Not all of you are going to come up and hit us. Douglas <laughs> 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 Smith, Westvale. Uh, first of all, that was amazing. Um, so proud of you, so proud of VMS. Uh, it's such an important issue. Uh, so I second it. Since my daughter is the president of the Environmental Club at VMS, I better reinforce it. So thank you for that. <laughs> Just a question, a point of order. Are citizen comments in the public record? Yes, at least that's fantastic. So it'll be in the public record. That's amazing. Uh, I'm only here for a positive thing. So first of all, to the new members, welcome. I just wanted to make two comments. One, over the holidays, just how unbelievably impressive and amazing it was to watch Vail Police, Vail Fire, Public Works, everyone who works for this town, out and about. Everywhere I went, I saw someone with a town of Vail jacket on, a uniform, representing this town in the way it deserves to be recognized. And you know, particularly over these last few days with the storm, watching the guys work the streets, clear it, just makes me super proud to live here. Uh, so just for the public record, just a huge round of thanks to all those people that work so hard over their holidays. Uh, the second thing is just a point of excitement. You know, I got to go over the holidays, took my family to the spectacular, ice spectacular. I've now been to three hockey games since Christmas, and every time I'm in Dobson Arena, all I can think about, Mr. Mayor, is let's do it right when we get Dobson, because it's such an amazing venue, and to see that energy in there. And so all I'd like to say is as we finalize and put the pencils down and, and figure out the budgets on it, it's such an amazing opportunity. Um, you know, Pete, your dad saw it, you know, for the next 50 years, what we can have with this town. So with that, welcome to the new members. Thank you very much. Thanks, Douglas. Thank you. Uh, Tim McMahon. Thanks for allowing me to speak tonight. 
Um, I've given up my TACA Tuesday shifts going forward so I can come to these meetings in Avon and Eagle County Commissioners. Um, just two quick things to bring up. One, is there any way we can get the uh, town attorney to issue a cease and desist order to Vail Resorts to stop using Vail in its name? People who don't know better think that Vail Resorts and the town are the same entity. This brings down the reputation of the town. This also brings down the monetary value of the town and anything associated with the town. Lastly, it affects the mental health of the local workers who make this valley what it is. We feel ashamed to be associated with that evil company. Next thing. Um, I would like the town to look at the financial feasibility of taking over the lease on the mountain in 2033. The reason being a couple things. Uh, town definitely treats its employees so much better. Uh, working at Cantina, I see a lot of the employees of town account or town just because you give them a discount and they love working for you guys. Um, two, all the money that VR rapes from the mountain and sends down to Broomfield and their shareholders could stay here. We could use all that extra money to help out with the mental health crisis and also the housing crisis. Three, the town already does a much better job taking care of the environment and would be much better stewards to the mountain. Four, the town already does so much of the infrastructure as far as the villages and the parking. Five, and lastly, the town also knows the community functions and what's best for us and what's best for the mountain. Thanks and have a good day. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody? All right. Thank you, everybody, for sharing your thoughts. Um, and then next up, we have any exact action as a result of executive session, and we do not have any. And so we'll move into our consent agenda. And unless anyone has any uh, questions or thoughts on anything, I'll look for a motion. Motion to approve the consent agenda. Second. Great, we've got a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 I am also in favor. Any opposed? Motion carries 7-0. Um, DRB, PEC, Matt, anybody have any questions or comments from Matt? Good evening. Good evening. Hearing none. I just wanted to report quickly that the joint work session with the PEC and DRB on Monday went very well. Uh, a lot of good questions, a lot of good comments, and the tone was generally positive, so uh, we were very pleased with that. So what's next for, <clears throat> that was for Middle Creek? For West Middle Creek, uh, going to DRB for conceptual uh, tomorrow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wonderful. Yes. Anybody else? Good. No. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, and we've got our presentations and discussions, our 2024 water. Did I miss one? Yeah. Oh, BLMD information update. My bad. Uh, anyone have any questions about BLMDIC or CSE? No. All right, now we're on to presentations and discussions. 2024 wastewater and water rates discussion with Eagle River Water. We might be moving faster than Siri was expected. We can. All right. Tom Casmo. In the hot seat. Vail Pedestrian Safety Improvements. 
Uh, thank you very much, Council. So this is a project that has been <clears throat> on hold for the last six to nine months or so. Um, some of you may remember a little bit about it. Lose it? Oh, it's over there. Perfect. Um, <clears throat> so this project uh, was uh, conceived several years ago. Uh, the whole goal is to provide access control and a safer environment for high pedestrian zones. Uh, those being Vail Village, Lion's Head, and Fort Park. Uh, that's what the initial <clears throat> concept was for this project. Um, and a little bit of history on this. Uh, this project kind of evolved over time. I think uh, it really started getting going uh, in 2020 with COVID, with uh, entertain potential for entertainment districts and how that could be made possible. Uh, we would obviously have to provide a, a secure and safe area for pedestrians if those would were to continue. Um, in 21 and 22, we had the success of the e-courier uh, project, which took a lot of the large vehicles out of the Vail Village. Um, so continuing to do so and uh, removing as many vehicles as possible was a goal uh, out of the Vail Village, at least. Um, and then with regards to special events, uh, the large amount of pedestrians that we do have in the Vail Village and Lion's Head, and how do we provide a safe zone for those? Uh, there was a lot in the news about uh, providing safety and, <clears throat> and security for high pedestrian use zones. Uh, and then in 2022, uh, we went for a grant to try and help uh, this project <clears throat> move along, and we received the grant uh, from the state uh, in the amount of $250,000, a matching grant. And that was for two things. One, it provided some additional funding for the e-courier project and purchasing additional loading delivery vehicles, uh, the e-carts, e uh, and it also provided some funding to start a pilot project uh, for uh, these pedestrian safety improvements. Uh, it's probably more affectionately known as the Bollard Project for some of you. Um, that's realistically what would be needed to be installed in order to provide a to provide uh, access control to these locations. Um, the last time I was here in front of you was back, way back in February, and we had presented multiple multiple concepts for the program that showed how many bollards would need to be installed in the Vale Village area, Lions Head, and Ford Park. Um, to no surprise, some of the comments were less is more. Let's look at other options uh, for as many bollards as were potentially uh, going to be needed. Um, so fast forward, um, a few months after that, we had looked into some additional options for bollards, and we did look at Vail Village and Lion's Head and, and looking at where where is the best place to do even a pilot pro, uh, project uh, uh, for installation of bollards or gates or what have you. Um, certainly, I think one of the things that was overwhelming was the amount of installations we would need in Vail Village, and that has a lot to do with the number of access points. There's certainly a lot of access ways to get in and out of the village. If you put bollards at Checkpoint Charlie and near Gorsuch, there's plenty of other locations that people could get in and drive uh, where they should not. Um, there also is the complexity in Vail Village the fact that a lot of people are allowed to go into Vail Village, so how you how you you are able to provide that access to those who are allowed to get into it. So Vail Village was certainly a complex uh, project area. <clears throat> Lion's Head, on the other hand, uh, currently no one's really supposed to be driving through Lion's Head uh, Village. 
the mall area. Uh, there's only two real access points, and that's by the bus stop by the Lions and Welcome Center and over by the Arabelle at Montaneros Alley. Uh, so it's a little bit more contained. Um, there's no, there, there shouldn't be any vehicular access in there. All loading delivery goes down below Arabelle. Uh, the only vehicles that should be going in there is for maintenance vehicles and emergency. Uh, so it's a little bit more compact as far as doing an installation, even a pilot program. Uh, Ford Park is very similar. It has two main access points. We already have uh, an aesthetic gate on the west end. Um, something similar to that or bollards could be installed at Ford Park. Um, these are some of the other options that we did look at. Some of the pros and cons are within your memo. Um, I'm going to skip these and kind of cut to the chase, but we can come back to these if we want and discuss uh, some of the pros and cons of some of the things like uh, different types of bollards and gates and aesthetics and crash rated versus non-crash rated. Uh, same thing with operations. There's lots of different operation systems. Um, certainly if we were to have a bollard system in place in either of the villages, uh, we would want that to be uh, operated remotely so that uh, it could be controlled from a place like Checkpoint Charlie or police. Um, but there are operating systems where it's cloud-based and you could almost operate it from anywhere that you decide that is secure. Uh, and I can go into more detail, but again, cutting to the chase, uh, really what we're here tonight is um, want to make sure and see if you want to move forward with a pilot program in Lion's Head. Uh, we do have that grant money that will expire at the end of the year. How much is that, Tom? Uh, that's $250,000. Two fifty-four. Lion's Head? So it's $250,000 total, and almost half of that will go towards e the loading delivery, and oh. actually has already been expended. We haven't been reimbursed, but it's been expended. Uh, the remaining half would go towards an installation of a, of a pilot program. And it's a 50-50 match, so we would have to spend 500000 to get 250000 Do we have money budgeted? So we do. So the money budgeted, we had... $600,000 budgeted in 2023, uh, so that money could roll forward uh, into 2024 to implement uh, Alliance Head Pilot. And just as a, let me skip one more, so as a refresher for those who might have remember this, uh, this was, this was, this is the pilot program potential for Lion's Head. You'll see on the here, what we call Montaneros Alley, right by the Arabell entry. There's currently an existing bollard there that's, that's broken and needs to be replaced. There was only one. It really needs to have two if we want to stop vehicles going through there. Uh, it's 19 feet wide. One bollard doesn't do it. It's more of a visual <coughs> impact than it is if people want to go through, they just drive around it, um, which they do do sometimes. Um, how frequently? How frequently do we have people that, how frequently are there incidents that our bollards would stop? Um, <clears throat> I can't give you an exact data point, but I, I know one of the concerns, I know fire has brought up concerns about uh, vehicles being in there and parked in the, because it's all a fire lane, parked in the fire lane, and they have uh, concerns about this particular area and getting a new <clears throat> bollard in, installed. I can't speak to the Montaneros alley, but the, uh, the eastern end by the bus stop, uh, my office is right there, and you'll see three or four different vehicles every morning going in and out at 
times later than eight o'clock or nine o'clock. Yeah. I, I think what you see is more often than not than off hours. This picture and this, oh, sorry, thought I went back. This picture at the and the lower that I just went through our cameras and took a still. This was probably a couple weeks ago of a of a vehicle in there uh, after hours. Um, but I think it happens. I think it's more more than often than not. It's in the after hours. That's fine. Um, the other locations for Bollage, obviously, if, if we control this access, the, the only other real access would be this location here. So potentially putting bollards in this location, um, and that would provide access control to Lion's Head. Tom, just like council had a debate about this. Um, Thank you. Uh, staff also um, looked at appropriate places for pilot, and you've had discussions with the fire department, police department, and public works, and find this is a logical location. And again, as you mentioned, beside Mountain Arrows, this is we have a bollard that's been there that is critical for maintaining access, and that's currently broken. Correct. So again, there's a recommendation from the various departments. This would right. be a good location. Yeah, recommendation from the town staff, various departments to move forward with a pilot program at Lions Head to understand if this is something we would want to do in other locations um, would certainly be the first step. How, How do emergency vehicles get in and out of there? Good question. Uh, with the bollards in place, they, they would, so all the bollards would be remote and retractable. They go up and down. Um, and they would be uh, controlled by, the, you know, vehicle, a fire truck coming up would, would have kind of an RFID embedded in the truck. Their truck, we're not, uh, we've had discussions about clickers, but we don't want to, we want to go away from that. So a fire truck would roll up and they would automatically go down. There, there obviously would also be other options. Um, our maintenance vehicles would probably have RFID cards. So they might get out, swipe a card and it would, it would pass through. Uh, other options is a push button. Someone who needed to get through pushes a button, say, hey, I need to get through for this maintenance. And that would go to, for example, Checkpoint Charlie or police department, and then they would be able to control that bollard uh, from moving up and down. How much beyond the grant, the $125,000 left in the grant money, will it, is it estimated that the lion's head phase will cost? So right now, preliminary estimates are three to $400,000. Beyond the 125? No, no, no. Total, total costs, and we would uh, receive back uh, 125 to 150. We we'll get back 50 percent of the total cost that we've spent. Yeah, and so this would be 300, 300 right. plus 125. We get back maybe 30 percent. No, we get a maximum. Of, <coughs> so the total pro we would to get. total construction costs would be 300, 400. We would be getting back. 125. 125 to 150, depending on how much the e-courier takes up of that money. What's the so cost little, at Ford Park? At Ford Park? Yeah. Um, it, it, all de it all depends on. Roughly. Uh, is, it le is it less? It would be less. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm a, I'm a big walk before we run on this one. I, I feel like there's a lot of unknowns, even though, I mean, on paper, but weather, all that kind of stuff. And I've heard from Jen Mason and a lot of people that there's a lot of traffic at, the, at Fort Park that's coming down that we don't want. I would be much more comfortable starting at Fort Park and seeing how it works there. I think it's more in line with our budget from you know a grant perspective and really try to iron the kinks out you know, with the year or two operating. I mean, 
I just think that this, you know, there's not the same amount of snow. I mean, there's just cost is less, need is greater. <clears throat> I, I, that's just, I just would feel much more comfortable starting there. I mean, especially if, you know, the most traffic there is in the summertime. You know, it's okay. We can right. see it's operating. We can try the remote things. We can try a card. We can try. You know, I know it. Mountain Plaza, if you're going in to park down there, you know, you punch the key code and it goes to, I mean, it can go to the cops, it can go to Vail Security, right. it can go, so a bunch of different ways. So I, I am much more comfortable, you know, if we're going to go forward with this trying out at those two entry points or maybe one entry point for it, kind of whatever makes the most sense to kind of get the data, see how things perform before we kind of start moving into Vail Village and Mindset. And Travis, I would support that. Having been on PEC when we were going through the Ford Park Master Plan and hearing the traffic counts and the unauthorized traffic counts that are utilizing that area, everything from Ubers to whatever end up down there, I think that Ford Park would be a better kind of beta test bed for this system um, rather than us having to yank it out in a year or two at lion's head because it doesn't work. So I, I concur with the mayor on this one. Any other comments? I think that's a sensible direction. Start at Ford Park, see how it goes. Okay. So general consensus and we can I, I would support that. Okay. Any other that's considerations council should be aware of with Ford Park? Um, <clears throat> no, I mean, I, I think that's a viable option. Um, we can move forward unless you have additional comment. You know, I, I think Ford Park will work. The only concern and why Lions had may be better is it's heated pavers versus um, just so that snow and ice, you don't have that in there out of Ford Park. Uh, we will be, um, it'll be a better test because these do come heated, but you'll be dealing with the snow and ice. So that was probably the only other reason we looked at Lions Head. Well, you could do the Monteneros. Why do you have to replace what, that anyway? That? You have to do the Monteneros anyway, right? We're, we're going to have to do something with Monteneros so and probably put two in. I mean, you should thinking, we? You know, I, was, I was there Friday looking at the snow removal that wasn't happening, and a car was coming down Monteneros. I was, I was turning around at the Arabelle. Um So, yeah, they get in there right now with one. So we'll eventually we'll need two down there. But. Should we that, that's the only, expand our trial to include that alley? And, and we don't know. I mean, these do come heated, yeah. you know, so they're supposed to work in snow and ice, but um, just to make sure it works, we were in a heated paper area. I mean, I, I'm more, if there's not a bollard on the Montaneros Alley side, right? I mean, there is, but it's broken. I mean, I, I'm okay with kind of the status quo in Lion's Head and then really put it through the paces that four park and see where we are. Do we, do we know to these cars that Pete sees in the morning? Are there people that have permits to go into Lions Head Village like that? Uh, no, no. So typically, the only thing we would we generally would permit is construction, maintenance vehicles, yeah, sure. special events, things like that. And how would that process <laughs> go in five years if it is in the village? How would that go? Like if you needed Steam Master to come to your restaurant, how does that work? If we have the bollards everywhere. Right, so it certainly would be, you know, the goal, if it was to move into Vail Village, there would be a lot more of them. Um, so we could control all access points. 
uh, and all access would come through Checkpoint Charlie and say, hey, I, I'm, I need to go to this restaurant for Seamaster. If that checked out, they would lower the bollard and they would go in and, and do what, what was necessary. So Checkpoint Charlie would be staffed 24-7? Well, not necessarily. It, it might be staffed a little bit more, but also there. Dispatch. The, yeah, it could go. It could go through. It could so go. That's a significant <laughs> issue. Yes. Yeah. It, it wouldn't. It could go through. It could be controlled from anywhere, so there could be a push button. It would have to go to a live person, who would then say, "Okay, you're approved." Could be so that's a phone. that's an app on your phone. Could be a phone. <laughs> <You're> the, <laughs> I, I think that was a direct link to the mayor's, the mayor hotline. I think yeah, that was yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll share that out. <laughs> yeah, there certainly is a lot more operations procedurally to deal with in Bell Village, um, which obviously is why we're looking at doing a pilot other than Bell Village, and mm -hmm. I, I think Fort Park would be um, is a viable option, and we can move forward with that. So we'll take a baby step with Fort Park. Yep. Great. See how it works. You have what you need? I have what I need. Thank you. Well, Thanks, Tom. Thanks. Thanks, Tom. Up next, Siri Roman, the one and only. Eagle River Water and Sand, come on down. Thank you. Sorry I'm a little late. No worries. I got the wrong time. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Uh, Siri Roman, General Manager of the Eagle River Water and Sanitation District. Um, good to see you all. Uh, with me, I have David Norris, our Director of Business Administration, and you all know Dick Cleveland, our Chair. This is a presentation that we've been doing for the last several months. Hopefully you guys have gotten mailers, um, postcards, uh, personalized billing statements, but we really want to communicate to the public that rates are increasing and why. Um, let's go ahead. Do you have the, Thank you. Um, so if you, you probably just got your bill last week, but the typical customer in 2024 is experiencing a 10.9% increase in their bills. Um, the reason for this, there's several reasons, but one is aging infrastructure. Given the age of the town of Vail and really all of our surrounding area, it's 50 plus years. So a lot of our infrastructure is ending the end of its useful life. And so, um, slowly we're having to just do larger and larger repair projects. We're seeing that a lot in Town of Vale with the infrastructure that's underground with water main breaks. Um, we've had a handful lately with the cold temperatures. So just that kind of, and also wastewater treatment plants. Um, we just invested 64 million at the Avon wastewater treatment plant. Uh, that just wrapped up. It's a really great project. Uh, that's regulatory driven. Uh, we already reduced the nutrients, so that's everything that goes down the drain, um, nitrogen and phosphorus, it's in urine, feces, soaps. Um, we already reduced it really well at all of our plants, but the state's making us reduce it even further. So that's, we have a lot of regulatory drivers. If you're paying attention to pretty much any news publication, um, right now you're hearing a lot about PFAS, before it was lead and copper, um, all those things. We're really fortunate to live at the headwaters um, and really be the first user of the water. So we have a great source water to work with. A lot of those things aren't as a concern to us as to other communities that have even older <coughs> infrastructure. Um, but regulatory pressures, uh, temperature is one thing that we're working with the state on now, and that's in-stream temperatures and making sure that um, we work really well with Town of Bell staff on the Restore the Gore program, but trying to plant trees so that we don't have to cool the effluent just a few weeks a year. Also, risk resiliency. Um, with the wildfires we've seen in the West, the mudslides, 
multi-year drought, that's a big concern, and managing utility today is not like it used to be. And one thing I just want to point out is that um, if you look at our whole service area, so that is from here to Edwards, um, all these costs, we only have 30,000 customers to spread these costs. If you look at Denver, they've one and a half million. So that's a reason why our rates are going up the way they are. We just don't have the volume of people to share, but we have a lot of infrastructure. Um, one of the reasons we, why we developed with different districts connecting, but also um, just with our valley, we have almost 50 tanks. Denver Water has just a couple. Ours are little teacups compared to theirs. Um, but we have all of that infrastructure maintained, and we just don't have the customer base to spread those costs. So water affordability is a big concern for us. Um, we are working with the state to try to pace some of these regulatory drivers, but that's why we're seeing costs go up. Um, for the past couple of years, it's been 6 to 10%, and unfortunately, that's what we're projecting for looking forward, is that rates will continue to increase at that clip. Um, we're really focused on the diminishing water supply. We know that the water picture is changing. Um, we're seeing less snowpack, earlier runoff, longer, hotter summers, you know, hot falls, especially when that aligns with peak demand. Um, and so one of our priorities is really risk resiliency within a warming climate. Um, one way we're preparing for that is by investing in the development of Bolts Lake. Uh, this is a historic lake that was built in the early 1900s, um, you know, back with Gilman and as for the mining community, it was drained in the late 90s because the dam was deemed unsafe. Um, but the district and authority recently purchased the land um, and we're just getting started early on design and permitting to rebuild Bolts Lake. Uh, this is a really exciting project because it's an off-channel reservoir. It already was a reservoir, so it's you know, relatively easy to put back. Um, but we are going to have to you know, go down 50 feet, line it, do all the things. And right now, it's estimated it cost $100 million. And keep in mind that 30,000 people to spread those costs. Um, best case scenario online in 2029, I think that's optimistic with all the permitting and design. Um, but this is a really great project because it, it'll likely be able to be filled off of Cross Creek or the Eagle River, and it would be filled with when the snow is melting. And then we'll be able to release it in the falls when the streams are low. So our whole community will benefit with us putting this water um, you know, when the, the fish are feeling stressed and the temperatures are high. So this is a really great project. We're really excited about it. Um, and direction from our board is full steam ahead. But again, this is just another cost that we're preparing for um, and trying to pace all of our projects so that we can do all the things. Um, one of our priorities also is water conservation. Hopefully you're seeing us more in the Vale Daily, um, on the radio like always but trying to get our customers to use less water. This is the easiest and cheapest way for us to reduce risk, this, until Bolts gets online or beyond. So we think that if our top 20% just quit wasting water, we can save 400 acre feet very, very easily. And that's within both service areas, the district and the authority. Um, so this is a huge campaign uh, that we're working on, and it's really to set us up for a secure water future. What we know is how we use water the last 50 years is not how we can continue to use water. We need to use it differently. And I'll say, I've been so impressed, David and I, this is probably, we're probably in the 40s with how often we've done this presentation, and all the communities have been very welcoming um, and very supportive with these changes. We just met with DRB to, you know, we're working with your staff, but just getting landscaping, development, um, and trying to get the native people to develop and just, it doesn't have to look like Arizona and rocks, but just more like the hillside on whatever aspect you're on. So choosing native veg vegetation instead of bright green lawns. 
Um, and then, so here is our goal, like I said, that's one third the size of Bolts Lake. It'll be pretty easy for us to achieve, but it'll have a really big impact on our community in, re in reducing risk. And one of the things as we've jumped into this, we have a new water conservation team. Um, that was a, a change for us this year um, that David oversees. But we looked at our rates and David found, which I told you last time, um, Travis, when I was here, but David found a critical flaw in our rate structure where the bigger the home, the cheaper the water. So I'm gonna turn it over to David and he's gonna share um, the, the rate changes and why. Um, and that people, customers won't really see that until irrigation season. They're seeing the 10.9% increase now, but this other one's gonna hit you differently depending on the water you choose to use. So with that, I'll turn it over to Dave. Thanks, Siri. Thanks for having me today. Uh, I'll try to get through this uh, as quickly as I can, but, uh, but slow. Um, so our, our customers are broken up into six different uh, account types as listed here. Uh, we're really focusing on the bottom two, individually metered residential or single family homes, um, and irrigation-only accounts. Those accounts are those that it sounds just like it is. It's only outside irrigation, no indoor use. You can see the number of accounts in, in uh, magnitude of number of customers and uh, also the amount of thousands of gallons or kgals that they're billed each year and then that <coughs> equated to acre feet, which is what Siri kind of showed as one of our goals. So you can see there's a lot of opportunity uh, in this. This does not mean that all of this uh, uh, water build um, in either acre feet or thousands of gallons is to go to zero, um, but you can kind of see that we're focusing on the bottom two. We have the other four this year that we're looking at for a 2025 push, but again, we're focused on the bottom two for 2024. To start is really to um, orient ourselves to your bill. There's two main components to your bill. There's a fixed or base um, charges. Um, and a variable portion of the bill. So to start with the base costs or the, or the base rates, um, they are to keep our infrastructure going, um, keep the lights on per se for the operational needs. Uh, there are things like debt service or the debt necessary for the bonds that we issue to do the big projects like Siri mentioned in Avon, the wastewater project. And then capital replacement charges. Those are preventive maintenance con concepts to keep things um, going and less costs at the back end. Uh, one SFE and three SFE example down there at the bottom. Again, SFE is single family equivalent, or these are uh, properties up to 3,000 square feet is one, um, and three SFEs is a 9,000 square foot home, or let's say for this example. You can kind of see the base rates are uh, correlated to the size of the home, as there are linear feet of pipe, usually up on the hill that um, service these, uh, more infrastructure like fire flow and things like this in, the, in there. So we do um, think that this is the way we, we're keeping this. The variable portion uh, of our bill is what the customers do have direct control over. How much water are you using and how does that correlate to a cost? This is our ended 2023 rate structure, weird to say in January already, but uh, this is kind of how it works, and this is what Siri is talking about with the bigger the home, the cheaper the water that we've discovered. You can see the one SFE home or 3,000 square foot home and a 6,000 gallons per tiered system at the pricing you see below. Um, and as you get bigger, they get more allotment of water for that tier. You can see the three SFE home gets 18,000 gallons in the first tier at 475. 
where the one SFE home only gets 6,000 gallons at that same pricing structure, they would need to get into tier three, paying a lot more for that water. This is effectively saying the bigger the home, the cheaper the water. That's where we are. Um, this is a different visual of that, where the base rates are uh, equitable or, or based on the size of the home. On the left there, on the right there is a 12,000 gallon per summer um, use case where the one SFE home, as you can see, pays a lot more than the three SFE home for the same amount of water used. That's where we are. This is where we ended in our in 2024, uh, where we're keeping the fixed costs the same on the left there, but a more equitable approach for every thousands of gallons used. Each customer will pay exactly the same. So where do we end? Um, that means all customers get anchored to uh, one um, allotment of water per tier and at a pricing structure for that. We are at $40.30 on the top tier. We cannot charge that. We could not charge that. We had to look at not only the impacts of our customers, but we had um, it with allotment of water, but we also had to look at the cost proponent of this is we cannot continue to charge $40 at the top end because there are customers that will get there quicker that have never been in those tiers because they're getting the same amount of water as everyone else in each tier. Um, we have 10,000 total customers. This is, represents 8,267 of them. I individually went through every single one of these to look at the impacts of every customer. You may have seen that. Something Siri mentioned is the bill comparison that me, you may have seen in the mail. It's a, a calculator on our, our website too to utilize. Um, we also were at 24,000 gallons in 2023 at the top tier. We, we really analyzed what's, what's equitable, what should we allot in each tier, and we got to 30,000 gallons. So we increased tier four to 12,000 gallons, and then dropped the prices in tiers five and four, 30 and 25% respectively. The next question usually is how can you drop the price and increase the amount of allotment of water and still stay solvent from a financial perspective? And I'll get into an example here. With redacted information, uh, this is a real bill. Uh, in June of this year, and what we know about June is it rained almost every day, I think. Um, this is uh, to orient yourself to the bill. And the top right shows the SFE, or the size of the home, or your multiplier. Um, this is a two SFE home. So this is a 6,000 square foot home. Uh, next to it is how much water was used, 50,000 gallons. This is a lot of water. Um, and in the middle there, or on the le bottom left, shows just that their use is high in the summer months and less in the winter. Um, again, two components uh, of your bill, water and wastewater charges, and within them is the fixed cost that we talked about. Um, those are represented here, but we're not talking about those. Uh, really going to talk about the uh, variable portion of your bill so that you can actually read that. We've blown it up a little bit and how this customer is billed for 50,000 gallons of use on a two SFE home so they get double the amount of water. So 12,000 in that usage column, 12,000 gallons per tier, 2,000 gallons billed at the top tier to get to 50,000 gallons. So you can see how they're, they're billed there. That's 23. Is that most likely from a home that has, sorry to interrupt, but just to understand how could someone get to that, is that a tier two SFE that has sizable landscaping? I checked this, it's 0 .08 acres. Okay. So, so I have not a 6,000 square foot house, 
is the size of the house, but the landscaping around it is less than a tenth of an acre. Okay. So it's a lot of water. Many showers, no, this is not indoor use. Water. This is not and, and, and maybe you're getting there, but the one thing I'm really trying to understand is as we look at SFEs with sizable landscaping, um, yeah. is there is there a metric in there for you know if you have someone that has a large lot and is using a, a, an exorbitant amount of water because they're landscaping, but they're getting a discount on it because it's a it's under nine thousand square feet. Is that is there a well so so if they're in this customer class which is individually metered or a single-family home individually metered yeah. uh, the, the actual allotment of water is equitable for all customers so they get 6,000 gallons in the first three tiers 12,000 gallons in the fourth tier to get to 30,000 gallons so if they have more land to irrigate than someone in a different area of our service area then they pay for that uh, use of water and then there's effective and ineffective ways to water that we do look at so we have reached out to a lot of our high-use customers to talk to them about that we're offering a lot of <coughs> concierge services from our water conservation department to like come to them look at their controllers look at how much they're watering what should you water what shouldn't you water and kind of go from there Sorry to interrupt. It, as well as, no, no worries. Uh, on our website, we also put a, a matrix or a table of, like, if you have 5,000 gallons in the hottest, driest month, you, you should only irrigate this much. Um, so there's some, some material out there that and we'll continue to reach out to our customers to, so that they better understand that. And this example is not that case necessarily, as it's a very small lot to irrigate and a lot of water use. This is how they're charged in 2023. Shifting into 2024, a little different. As you can see, um, they're billed the 6,000 gallons, 12,000 gallons in tier four, and then the rest of the 50,000 gallons is billed at the top tier. This is again why we had to really look at the impacts and can't be charging $40 on that top end. It's still a 28.84% increase per month for this customer if they did not change the behavior and if they use this much water every month or $258 per month increase. Again, this is the year of uh, trying to come with us, trying to work with our customers and trying to get them to understand their use, understand their numbers. So, I mean, you obviously set your pricing for this year, but I, I am curious why you say you can't charge that high number at tiers four. I mean, it's a disincentive, right? Like it's there for a reason. The the high tier. Yeah. Yeah. Like, sorry, you use yep. fifty thousand gallons when you could use twenty thousand. Like, you pay for it. And it's this a, customer it's a should choice use that this someone customer. makes, and it's yeah. very clear with the. I mean, whatever. You're you're good. <laughs> Understandable. Uh, we definitely know that um, this customer should use nineteen thousand gallons. Best case in yeah. August. So their bill no should rain. be five thousand, and then they'll get down to nineteen thousand next month. <laughs> True. What we do have to look at is the year-over-year -year impact. Again, come with us. We do have to live here. Um, and so some customers at that pricing point would see like 3,000% increases. We are trying to get people to understand it. This, is, again, is resetting <clears throat> our fundamental billing flaw first and then ratcheting up from there. Um, again, a lot of effort has gone into just this is not the worst case scenario. This is an average scenario. 
Um, so what we are seeing is there is a lot more opportunity for us to reach out to our customers and dial that in as we move forward. So, so I understand. Next year. Uh, sure. So you see this as a transition. <laughs> yeah, this, this is definitely resetting the framework. And then we have now this framework to build upon, but we want people to come with us. Just looking at your bill, understanding what you use. There's been a lot of conversations. Believe me that our customer service team that I oversee has talked to people already because uh, this hit last week. Um, and their irrigation is not on yet either, um, or shouldn't be. Um, so there, there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of conversations with them just now. They're just now looking, and now they're like, whoa. Uh, and again, Siri mentioned 10.92 percent. That is our typical customer. Um, the, of the 10.92, we have two portions, right? Water and wastewater. Wastewater alone went up 28 percent. And that is due to the big bond that we had to issue and the debt service necessary for that. Our operational needs only went up 4% for the water. All in as a typical customer is 10.92. So our customers are actually feeling the wastewater side of it right now. I'm just saying, the other okay. big number that's there is 100 million. Get there a little yep. faster with tier four and five. Yeah. <laughs> Dick, did you hear that? Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll take that into consideration, <laughs> believe me. Um, but I think we've felt uh, quite a bit of, of this impact. We've reached out. This is our 40th uh, run at this presentation um, since October, I believe. Uh, so we've reached out to a lot of different stakeholders to communicate their individualized impact um, and then reach out in a lot of different uh, media. Again, know your numbers. Uh, this team has also developed a, a bill calculator tool that's on our website. You just put in your uh, account number and your street address name, the name of your street, uh, and you can export this, send it to your landscaper. Also, there's numbers and material there. We're doing a lot of what we can do. We've, we've uh, dedicated a full-on resource uh, in, in our, on our team to come to you as a customer and do as much as we can to educate, to, to inform, and to help uh, conserve the water. The second portion, which uh, I won't spend as much time on, but is a very important uh, structure that we did uh, overhaul this for 2024 is irrigation only. They are the things listed there. They are not uh, the ones we just talked about, the individually metered residential accounts or the single family homeowners, and they are not the raw water users or the schools, golf courses, et cetera. They are HOAs, townhome, front entryways to community areas, um, Ford Park, things like that. Where we uh, were in 2023 to where we are in 2024, basically, simply put, we had three ways to pay for irrigation, very complicated system. We went to one way to pay, which is coverage-based system. That means we looked at all 383 accounts that we have. We measured their irrigatable area by using GIS mapping to look, look for things that look like they're being irrigated. That's not an exact science, but it's a good start. Um, to get to an acreage allotment. And we've been talking about SFE as it relates to the size of the home. Their uh, concept, these customers' concept is based on acres of land uh, to irrigate. So if someone has, you know, you do that measurement and then they come back in and they change their landscaping, I guess they, then there's a conversation about how you've 
yeah. reduced water usage. And yeah, we have a form and, and, and a process for you to do so as a customer to let us know, as we would not know that, mm -hmm. um, is then you can do uh, you know, an audit. We'll do an audit of what you say you have. We'll come walk it and measure it, and then we'll get to a number. Um, so same process. We had to look at our tiered billing structure, allotment of water, and the cost components. We had to look at the top three tiers in this one um, to drop them as you see on there, um, about 30% and then 20% on the third tier, um, respectively from five to three. Um, we also looked at a lot of uh, material to get to 190,000 gallons in the top tier. This is for an acre, acre of Kentucky bluegrass in August where there's no rain. Um, and that is the worst case scenario. So uh, what what this means is there's not a ton of the 383 accounts that have over an acre. Most of them are well under an acre, so they get their fraction of this. Again, a tenth of an acre would get 19,000 gallons. So it'd be just proportionate to the size of the irrigatable area. I have a quick question just on these tier reductions that you're showing for three, four, and five. Yep. Your annual water cost increase you were anticipating what was it 10 or 6 to 10 percent annual does this reduction kind of for these uh, we're, we're talking about larger volume users is that reduction in your long-range forecasting and strategies does that tend to go away i know we're trying to get rid of sticker shock because we're doing a or you are doing a billing correction but Obviously, you're going to be absorbing the six to ten percent, or trying to figure out how to pay that forward. I guess I have the same concerns as the mayor. Why, why are we so worried about sticker shock for these these tier four and five people? Do do they have an opportunity or kind of a grace period to pull back on usage, and then they get hit with that that full boat on water costs? Because again. We're just looking at total water volume, water use. It does seem like the, the offenders, especially the guys getting 30 and 28.43 and a 30% discount, whereas the guys that put in two aren't getting any discount. Uh, the, so, yeah, I understand that perspective. The ones in tiers one and two are uh, not going to feel the increases of the further tiers in the future. Um, so they're, in, they're reducing their impact in the future by staying within those tiers today. Uh, again, this is three ways to pay, so three different kinds of customers coming into this system all have individualized impacts. So even though you're seeing this, there's dramatic increases for these customers, a lot more than the other customers, where the, the system we had before uh, for these customers, just like the last group of customers, is they were never getting into the $40 tier. So they weren't feeling it ever. Um, even at $20 here on the top $20.92 here, they will feel that because they're going to be there for most of their bill, whereas before they were never even getting there. Um, so it's a weird way of looking at I know, um, but in, individually these customers are feeling the impact a lot more than the residential customers because this is where the behavioral trends that I've looked into all 10,000 accounts we have, I looked into behavioral trend patterns over the last 10 years of all the six accounts, and these customers do not change their behavior. Um, and this is due to a lot of reasons, but the HOA communities say we want it green, 
keep it green, they keep it green. Um, so uh, there's a lot of work to do here. And again, this is the opportunity to get their systems right before this $20.92 goes to 40 in the future years. Does that hopefully answer your question? Yeah, thank okay. On the irrigation only, the, the ski and snowboard club veil? I yep. don't know how to keep us all here for another hour necessarily. Yep. Uh, I'll hit that one shortly. They, they are in this system. Yeah. at their uh, allotment of acreage and um, we've worked with them to come up they've been on an agreement so we've been working with them to phase in this approach to their agreement okay um, because their use is opposite seasonally versus the yeah there's this, uh, you know November December usually maybe some January okay. yeah did I'm sorry just to understand understanding that the HOAs are some big users because they want to keep it green but were you saying, though, that maybe some of our Down Valley neighbors with large SFEs are bigger users of? I'm just trying to understand that. Uh, so these customers um, can have 0 0.01 of an acre and hit 300,000 gallons a month uh, of use. Um, that is a lot of water. Yeah. Hopefully that makes sense. Uh, the SFEs or the single family homeowners <coughs> use a lot of water as well. Some some customers do with smaller lots, but they're in the individually metered customer account and not in irrigation only because that meter that they have will irrigate outside and also service the inside. So different structure, but yes, it's kind of a mixed bag of which customers in, in each. Um, and we kind of know by geographical area where, where they are. Does that help or no? Yeah, I, I need to think about how to form my question better, but thank you. We, we, have, we have a mix of customers here um, that, that vary. Again, these are only 383 accounts that you know Ford Park is on here and other kind of like public use land, as well as the HOA community members. The ones with homes um, with bigger lots, they, they are in a different structure and we look at those differently. Yeah, uh, we even as last uh, Thursday, we met with uh, Blaine and Todd uh, to kind of go through all the town avail accounts and their individualized use, get the dialing of the acreage right, and then their use of water. Betty Ford's on there, other things like that. We know about the leaking uh, water feature there and stuff that we can do to keep the cost low or the water use low because this is going to hit them. Um, based on that, but we're working with with your staff to kind of understand the town of Bales use is there's uh, 43 accounts of the 383 are town of Bale accounts. And what is municipal then? Uh, we don't so municipal is uh, the way we see the current structure we have municipal um, it's like this building but not the town of Bale irrigation accounts. Okay. That makes sense. We're looking at that into this year for 25's rate structure to try to see what, what purpose is that and where do we put those. Make sense? Um, so a lot, like Siri was saying, we do look at affordability. We do look at the, the costs of our, our services. As you can see here, uh, this is in our, our budget packets every year, but just something that we look at. Um, so water comparison of a 5,000 gallon user. This is our typical customer. Uh, this is a, you know, an indoor use case. And you can kind of see where the district and authority stack up 
with our 2024 approved rates with everyone else's 23 rates. That's Minturn at the top in case you're squinting. Um, but you can kind of see that. And then as you look at the combined uh, feature, water and wastewater services, we still look at and you can see where we stack up. With that, a lot said, um, I think we can answer whatever questions you may have of that that you haven't already asked or that I haven't clarified well enough. I have a couple of quick questions. Um, new development tap fees, are you guys seeing an increase there? Especially we have quite a bit of employee housing coming online in the next few years and we need to make sure we have enough water so those employees can take showers. Um, but obviously new development tap fees, do you guys see increasing those throughout the value within, throughout your system? So our rate package for 2024, we look at that as well. And uh, we did 7.4%, uh, I think. 7.4% increase <coughs> on the impact fees uh, and cash and lieu fees for that. As it relates, we anchor to CCI or construction costing index. Okay, and then wastewater increase, how much, what was that, 26? 28.3. Is there any reason we didn't match like the gypsum 40? Uh, because it was debt service driven. Okay. So we had an issuance of a $43.2 million bond issued in early 2023, delayed debt service to 2024 so that we could keep the cost spread out for our customers. So it was really just a calculation of what debt is due and how do we cover it with our base of employee or customers. And then um, total volume of the Bolts Lake Reservoir project, do you, how many acre feet is that gonna be? 1,200. 1200 um, great and then my last question you got them all actually sorry so is there <clears throat> from a capital planning perspective I learned that there's like a clay sewer pipe in Bellevue Drive right so that's what you're you're going around <laughs> and replacing clay with not clay Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of those should be lined okay. if there is clay. Um, we don't, but yes, anytime we see, that's the aging infrastructure. Right. Um, but some areas, and I'm trying to remember, I think I've done a project in there. Um, when we do have clay, we have it in Eastvale. Eastvale has a lot of older infrastructure. Okay. Um, and when you see these water main breaks, it's usually during the freeze-thaw cycles. Yeah. And a lot of it is the, these old pipes, they didn't have bedding around them, so they get against a rock just over or time. Or tree root. Or, I remember that one. Um, or too. tree roots. Please don't put trees within 10 feet of a main. Um, but these are the things that we have, especially in Vail, that's where a lot of our money's going, is undersized. Um, there's a lot of backlot water mains. Um, we looked at this with your staff recently, and that's really where all of our capital dollars are going. And trying to, this is a big priority for our staff this year, is to really get a handle on what's in front of us 10 years and how can we do it and really focus on water affordability. We are very concerned with the rates, especially for utilities on the Western Slope. If we were to put, I did ask, we've been talking about putting a lot of front range. Their water compared to ours is very inexpensive. But all of these Western Slope utilities are feeling the same thing with small towns, which is small numbers, but really heavy regulatory drivers um, and trying to get the state to understand not all one size fits all is really what our work is. And so working collaboratively with, it, with the other towns in the region, um, you know, temperature, nutrients, you name it, but these 60, 100, and construction costs have, we thought the wastewater improvements 
in 2017 were going to cost 100 million, and now it's north of 300. So it's not the construction costs have just gone through the roof, as you, I'm sure you will know. I remember my last question actually. Um, on your SSFSE one, two, and three, is that based on total square footage or GFRA or livable? Uh, how you tier that? For the SFE? Yeah. So for your tier system on your square footage, where, how do you calculate that, or what's, what's the data that you're using for that? Is it based off GFRA or actual built? Um, it's what's actually built, and it's at the time. Uh, the last improvement was submitted to our development team, uh, our water resource team, to to uh, draw the livable and above grade uh, numbers for that. So then it's equated to. So between the various municipalities, someone adds 2,000 square feet. Yeah. Are you immediate? Are they all tasked to report that to you? Yeah. The, well, part of the process is before they add 2,000 square feet, they have to go through the development review process with your staff here and our staff. So we have to s say we can dedicate the water or not based on the uh, proposed plan. And then once we say it, we can do, we can service it, then you guys do your part. And then if done, then we update the numbers on our side and then they, they get charged that base fee going forward. Uh, impacted like two more SFEs per their bill, but they don't get any more allotment of water per tier. And the Vail Resort, sorry, that's okay. The Vail Resort allotment of water and how that obviously they've seen your water rights on Mill Creek and that's where they're pulling snowmaking water. Do they have any water rights on Gore Creek that, okay. Is so it they senior? pull, they pull, yes, they have very senior water rights. Right. I mean, just keeping the time of when we were developed at resorts, the town, it's all within a year. It's all happened. So, yes, um, Vail Resorts has very senior water. They have their own water rights. They actually pull below our outfall <coughs> on Gore Creek. Um, and so, and a lot of their water rights are connected to ours during low flow periods. So, um, yeah, they have the right to use that water. Do we? Do you? I mean, I mean, do you, are they able to store water in your system? And does it kind of work like that with the tanks you have, and then the snowmaking ponds? And is there like coordination? Just as a random. There's coordination with the um, ski club Vale's use on Gold Peak, so that's where the coordination is. But otherwise, they're they're isolated systems they because obviously ours is potable. Right. Um, so the agreement that was made originally, I want to say 2007, um, it sounds about right, for Gold Peak, was that um, Ski Club Vale could use potable water in our <clears throat> tank, and then there is a connection from the potable to the snowmaking. And so, but we have backflow, you know, we have the most protection between those two systems, because that is a hazard to the potable system. But that's the agreement that was made at the time. And obviously the water picture has very much changed since 2007. And direction from our boards is everyone pays their fair share. And so that's one of the reasons of the transitions and that you pay for what you use. And that's the same with this model too. It doesn't, to, to your point, it doesn't matter how the size of your yard. What you choose to use is what you pay. And we all make our own choices. And that's the direction that we're, we're, we are, we're doing moving forward. And even as we look at your accounts um, and kind of just looking and saying, everyone pays their fair share because if we were to give a deal to one person, all of our customers are subsidizing it. 
the interesting thing about Ski Club Vail is this, that uh, when they operate early, they bring in a lot of teams that, that keep Manor Vale and some of the other businesses active. And uh, we all love the fact that Michaela Schifrin came from here. And without keeping things up to where they need to be, uh, it's it's hard to predict the future that way. Yeah, there's so. a lot of changes too with early making snow. You have to look at the stream flows because we're not going to pull the snow if it's it's you know the in-stream standard, which is protection for aquatic life, but also air temperatures. Sure. Uh, the temperatures haven't been there in October for for a while. Yeah, yeah. And I, the way it first went, the um, club was going to use the the water from the creek that Bale Resort because they didn't want to run their pumps and spike the demand charge with Holy Cross. So mm -hmm. we had access to the ski club at the time I was involved with and we had access to that water. Yeah. Changes. Changes. Yeah. The water picture has changed drastically in the last 20 years. Yeah. I just want to say um, <clears throat> what a great story about Bolts Lake. What a win for this valley. Yeah. I mean that is an incredible, when you look at the history of that, where it was, what it became, and where it is now, that's a story that really needs to be told. I know the, the Daily's done, done a couple of articles on it. That was awesome. Um, as it relates to wastewater, probably more specifically, this new plant that we've been talking about a little bit, would the efficiency of that plant lead to future? I mean, you can't predict the future. I get it. But would it lead to a more, even more equitable solutions here? I mean, I, I, I think you could pay me now or pay me later type of scenario. Um, I don't know, where, where are we at with that, I guess, is a quick question. So for what we're looking at with the Avon um, wastewater treatment plant, it's very unique for a service area our size to have three wastewater treatment plants. Yeah. Very unique. Normally, you would only have one at the end. Um, I wish we only had one from a staffing and infrastructure, maintenance, all of it. Um, I think it would be much more simple. Um, but the great thing about having three is we're returning water to the streams. And that, as you can imagine, with aquatic life, and we're putting that water back faster, which really benefits our streams. And also, the way our water rights are developed, we actually have to return that water back at the Vale location. Because we've looked at, could we get rid of the Vale plant and then just put a lift station and send it down and treat it at Avon, make bigger improvements at Avon. Um, but, it, but we are tied with, you know, from the early 1960s of returning that water there. So we can only do so much. But one thing we're hoping to work with the state on is look at trading. Could we do really well at one plant? You know, all those things. And I always say to the state, it's no coincidence the gold medal fishery starts at our outfall. You know, it's a little bit of food. for the, It's great fishing. Um, and so I think that there is nutrients are more impactful in areas where it's going into a reservoir. You know, you look at Chesapeake Bay, you look at the Gulf, um, and a lot of times nutrients, it's, it's really coming from ag is where the, the loading is, um, but our streams can handle, we remove a ton, so it's just a little bit going to the streams. Um, we do an excellent job, and, but where they're asking us to get is next to nothing, and the costs just go through the roof, the energy, the greenhouse gases, the environmental footprint. Um, so those are the things we're trying to work with the state collaboratively on is a common sense approach where, of course, we're protecting Gore Creek because um, that's all of our livelihood, but what makes sense from an environmental footprint? And the same for temperature. You know, we don't want to cool the effluent for two weeks a year. We'd rather plant trees, that kind of stuff. I don't know if I answered your question. No, you did. I mean, it was a pretty broad question. But, yeah. uh, but we're just yeah. looking at creative solutions, not to just have more energy, more infrastructure, more <coughs> staffing. Yeah. But there's got to be other ways we can do this. Yeah, three plants is, I so, mean, yeah. 
I'd be happy to tour if you guys are ever interested. People's eyes are get really big when they get into a wastewater treatment plant. <laughs> I, yeah, it's very exciting. I, I've had a tour of those facilities. They're pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. field trip. Uh, anytime. <laughs> it's, <pretty> cool. <laughs> it's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Well, to even look at your whole water system, yeah. from Black Lakes to the wells, yeah. you know, to the treatment plant, <coughs> the whole cycle, we're so lucky. And so thank you for your support and collaboration with your town. Uh, we're really lucky to be at the headwaters, have the source water we have, the collaboration. Um, you have excellent, excellent source water. I think you have the best source water in the state. Those wells produce excellent water. There's very little you have to do. Great. Ross, maybe the VMS students want to tour the water treatment plants? Okay. <laughs> I'm coming. Great. Thank you both so much for coming down and spending your Tuesday with us. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Russ. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. A couple updates. One, first, uh, thank you for uh, working with Steph Johnson on scheduling interviews related to our strategic plan. Also, in getting feedback from all seven of you, it looks like Monday, February 26th, and Tuesday, February 27th would work for days for the retreat. Again, we'll dial in the specific schedule for those days. If there's any issues or needs to get away, take a break, we'll uh, be in touch with you. Also, Chris uh, just needed to follow up with you on the Vail Social dates. It sounds like we have a logistical challenge with tables on the date we picked. And Chris, you're wondering if we could look at the 27th, August 27th or September 10th? And I did get an answer back from three of you. One said August 27, one said September 10, and one didn't care. So <laughs> I need someone to break the tie here, if we could. September um, 10. September 10? Yeah. September? September okay, 10. September? I'm, I'm good with that. Was I the one that said that either one? Great. I think I was. No, I, I, probably. <laughs> you did too. Okay, perfect. Thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Chris. It's my anniversary. We'll be there with bells on. The tenth is. We can celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> um, Reed will sing. Okay. <laughs> Man, I'm life without I've heard Reed's a good MC as well. For the, I've heard Reed is a good MC as well. Yeah, for he is. Guys. He's a good backup. <laughs> oh, oh. Um, next, uh, we've received an invitation from our sister city in Japan to visit them. And I am just wondering, we also have a relationship with San Anton. We have an invitation from them for this summer. And again, we can spend a lot of money and resources. It's a very special relationship. Just wondered if council would, before picking a date, would you want to have a discussion about just our goals with uh, our sister cities? Sure. I would love that. Sure. Yeah. I think sure. kind of a list of the relationships that we have and perhaps the initial goals mm -hmm. that were outlined when those relationships were made and just kind of a understanding of all of it. Great. We will schedule a work session on that. Thank you. A um, couple other things. Uh, one, um, we've challenged our team to aggressively uh, go for grant opportunities and uh, our environmental department has identified an opportunity uh, for a grant um, from the Colorado Energy Office to augment what we're doing with our geothermal. Again, we've done some initial work on geothermal in terms of some test borings in Fort Park. Um, and also we are looking at opportunities. We were just talking with the wastewater treatment plant and how to do heat exchanges 
um, with our Civic Center site. Um, so we have an opportunity to go for a half million dollar grant. Kristen Beth, it is coming up really quick, like this Friday. So it's an opportunity that popped up and we have $150,000 budgeted for um, kind of the next round of geothermal and it was budgeted in 2023 which we could roll to 2024 so we're looking at how to how could we further leverage this 150 potentially with a half million dollar grant correct thanks Russ yeah good evening everybody Kristen Bertulli environmental sustainability director uh, so the grant that Russ is referring to is called the Colorado Energy Office Community District Heating Thermal Energy Network Grant um, and that uh, is uh, their, their limit is half a million of course this this big project, if we're talking about both boiler plants for the snow melt, would of course cost uh, quite a bit more than that, even probably to design. Um, however, payback potential from our initial analysis is quite good. I mean, between five and 10 years, it's, it's pretty excellent. And one of, the, one of the great opportunities with this grant is that they're really looking um, for us to use waste heat opportunities, and they see the, the wastewater treatment plant as a really excellent opportunity to do that. So um, they'd like to look at that first and kind of build out um, while we're also analyzing all the work that we did over in Ford Park to see what could uh, tie into the village snowmelt system. So lots of potential, our fingers are crossed, and we're gonna submit on Friday with your blessing. What is, whatever, what do we have to do? We just have to ask for money and um, hopefully uh, our $150,000 uh, match will, will suffice for, for all of that. We're still So we would maintain sure. our budget of 150 uh, in terms of taking the next steps and try to leverage this to get a bigger bang for our buck. Yep. Um, design and feasibility is, is what's uh, included in here and that's our next step anyhow, so hopefully we get it. And we're 100% confident geothermal is the way to go for snowmelt. I, I think it's we're we're 100% confident it is a way to go. Um, so we, we need to do this further analysis to really get to the number crunching. So what our first phase was is, do we have any thermal energy potential at all? Like could it could it work? Um, and then where are those waste heat sources? So the ice rink, the treatment plant. And that's the second component. So, so there's, there's two, right? Exchange. So the ground heat, um, and then <coughs> where are all these sources of waste? So whenever you've got heating or cooling or especially chilling and you've got an opportunity to use all this waste heat to heat something else. So right now, over by the Dobson uh, Ice Arena, we actually do use uh, waste heat from, from the ice rink to heat that stretch of road that's kind of steep coming down in front of the ice rink there off the parking lot. So uh, it's, definitely, it's definitely feasible. There, we'll, we'll look at other, as we go along, we'll look at other, other ways to decarbonize. Geothermal is probably the most cost effective. You could electrify the whole system, for example, uh, but it's, it's costly. So I have a question. Uh, budget at RA, 150000 I don't think we've seen any data back on the Ford Park test bores yet. I, as far as I know, I haven't seen any. Um, as far as the feasibility and what we found out from that, when would that data be available? And then this $500,000 grant, if, if we do receive it, how will it be allocated and how will council be involved in that decision process in the um so when will we receive the thermal conductivity test i think is what you're asking so yeah i need to know when we're going to get that data because i think it's important because um, geothermal does not work everywhere it's not a magic bullet and it's something that i want to make sure that obviously we're going to chase other sources here but i, I want to make sure that we're spending 
the money accordingly. If it, if geothermal is not going to work here, then we need to start looking at other opportunities, which I understand this 500000 could go towards. But in trying to have transparency with our citizens and accountability uh, for government spending, $500,000 is a lot of money, and I want to know how it's going to be allocated and how um, the checks and balances will kind of come into play. Will that be council? Will it be only the manager and yourself? How is that money going to be spent? Let's take that one at a time. First, do we have any initial information from the feasibility work? Actually, we were hoping for that today. The thermal conductivity test uh, we still don't have in hand. I think we're optimistic about it, at least talking to the consultants. Um, but, but I don't have that in hand quite yet. So between now and Friday, we need to get it and kind of put that in as an attachment for the, for the grant. Um, but initial responses are that we've got good potential for for geothermal energy in the location that we that we drilled so so that's good news um, your second question was how would we spend the 500,000 so the grant is limited to uh, design feasibility uh, things like that so construction documents so that's that's what we'd have to do if we were to accept that grant um, and then your third question was is, is this the way are we looking at other paths and so we started down the geothermal uh, energy path because um, number one there's a lot of funding in the IRA but also it seems uh, to us that it's the most cost effective and uh, easiest way to decarbonize uh, opportunity that we've got however um, at the beginning of 2023 we did set out to partner with Holy Cross Energy on a, a joint RFP to look at all of the opportunities out there that might you know, be something a little bit more innovative than, than just a network geothermal. So, um, so that that's still that's still our path. But we want to make sure we don't miss out an opportunity now that we're, you know, kind of into phase two here after we've done our boring, just to make sure we don't miss a, you know, potential opportunity to. But just judging support. from the organization that's writing this grant, this is specifically for geothermal, and no other. Correct. Okay. Yes. Um, and how much is the initial testing connectivity uh, data? Research. How much is that costing us initially? One fifty. Um, that initial study was like sixty thousand dollars, and then we spent roughly forty-two thousand on uh, getting the drilling rig here and the boring holes and all that. So a hundred thousand. Roughly, and then we have got the rest of the hundred and fifty yet to spend on analysis. So, Reed, one thing you know, we can certainly come back to you at the next meeting if we have this in hand share with you the feasibility work uh, we would have already submitted for a grant if it was not feasible would we just pull the grant we, we could do that i mean i don't i don't think we're we're pretty confident it's feasible at this point it's just whether or not we want to move forward and then presuming it was feasible we would need to create a scope uh, and again two components of it one is doing further engineering on you know, a geothermal system, and the other component of it that's very similar to Mesa State University is doing a heat exchange system. So, looking at specific structures, buildings, you know, we have the opportunity now to look at a new Dobson ice rink and looking at how do we utilize waste heat from existing government facilities, including the wastewater treatment plant, uh, that could also be an opportunity. Yeah, so that's that that can be funded by this grant. The the waste heat exchange cannot. It, the, well, the, it's only question. for geothermal, right? Well, it's a network geothermal, so it's it's combined. So you would you would use all the efficiencies it's that you could. So you'd make a loop, but you'd also take building heat off where you could. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. That makes sense. 
Okay, anybody else? So Boltman will come back with this initial study, share that with you, um, and again, based on that, we would need to develop a scope uh, for this work, and that's something we can bring back to council for your review and approval before. And I imagine this will be more than $50,000, <coughs> obviously, given the numbers we're looking at, so it has to come back to town council for oh, yeah. approval. And do we have somewhere the comparison on the cost of geothermal versus electrification? Um, off the top of my head, I don't, but yes. I mean, there, there's an order of magnitude depending on how large your system is. So, like, you know, if you, if you just take a natural gas boiler, for instance, and convert it into an electric boiler, you're between three and four, or four and a half times as expensive. If you combine it with geothermal and you, you use um, energy more efficiently and you have battery storage, it gets incrementally less expensive. So it just depends on your system, but we, of course, will have those numbers for you. I just I went to a symposium talk I don't know a couple months ago the reality of the clean energy transition great talk if you want to listen to it <laughs> online um, and they pretty very clearly said geothermal is not the answer for our snow snowmelt they said um, oh, specifically for snowmelt yes for our snowmelt yes for our <laughs> snowmelt <laughs> okay. well it was with the CEO of Holy Cross so I think he does. Um, he probably means it's not uh, the only answer, right, when you have a system that large. I mean, it would be sort of a supplemental. You, w you wouldn't take the whole thing and make it geothermal, but you could get the cost down and get all the efficiencies by combining waste heat and geothermal. Hmm. And electrification, probably. It's got to be staged. Okay. <clears throat> well, I can't hurt to apply since we don't have to, I mean, there's no obligation if the data doesn't support it or whatever, we can always back out. But otherwise, I think if someone else is going to help us get more information about a potential solution, I like learning on other people's dimes. <laughs> Great. Thank you. And final is at uh, the last meeting, uh, we discussed eastbound stop sign at Blue Cow Chute. Um, again, kind of going back, you know, sounds like there was a, going back several years, there was some direction to take it out, you know, with, we have a couple individuals in the community that um, don't favor uh, lights and digital signs a lot, and that could have been a response to that, but I, I just wanted to get a sense from council, would you like us to put back in the eastbound stop sign at Blue Cow Chute? With there is one going westbound, and it's a bigger stop sign, and it has lights on it, but the eastbound sign was removed, and Greg is looking to see whether still it's still stored. There's a sign there. It's a stop sign. I'm sorry. Well, just for continuity, I, I just find it really silly that we have one for the traffic that's going westbound, but the more hazardous stop sign, the one that people blow by all the time, is the eastbound stop sign, which used to be bigger, used to be lit, now it's smaller. Yeah, and, and that one was never lit. We, we have power there. Um, we were doing a combination of Vail Road, and I think the Vail Road ones down at, by First Bank went on first, and then we were gonna put that one in, and we were told, turn the ones at Vail Road off and don't install the one going eastbound. And so that's where um, we're at. But you're right. Uh, people do blow that sign. Um, and Vail and, Road. 
What's that? And Vail Road. Yeah. Not, not, well, Vail Road also, but not at the different speeds. No. Um, the speeds that they do it at, and it's an unconventional intersection, um, having yeah. the, the T not stop and what looks like the through road needs to stop. And so just giving motorists a better um, warning there uh, because at some point something's going to happen. It seems logical if we got one westbound going eastbound. I appreciate, you know, a previous direction several years ago, but, you know, if this council wants to have similar stop signs going both ways, that certainly seems logical. It seems that a uniform intersection signage makes sense there. Yeah. Okay, so we'll look and see if we have that still stored. Yeah, i got to make sure they're still around, but if not, we would order one. The power's there. Thank you. That's all I have, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. Great. Anyone want to go home? No. <laughs> that wasn't a question, by the way. Are we? No, we got we got matters from there. How call on me? I'm sorry. Yeah, let's start with you. Okay, well, I'll start. Um, we have completed the uh, Vail Trail Blazer nomination process and uh, look forward to that. We should have an announcement in the next couple of weeks and uh, one of our citizens who has transformationally changed our community for the better and amongst many other characteristics will be chosen. So stay posted for that one. Have a robust candidate field. So uh, thanks to everybody that nominated people as well. And then I'm sure we're going to be getting a report soon, but um, and maybe you guys have already asked for this, but can we get a little information on um, how we could do long-term rental incentives? It's something we've talked about here. If it's already coming up, Russ. Yeah. Yeah. I got. If you want to, actually, one interesting new opportunity that may come out of the legislature, but. Um, that's yeah. something I, I've chatted about with George and the Housing Authority um, prior to us getting very busy with right. uh, various projects. They got very close to the finish line, and they're going to kind of get to the last five Good. yards and get a residential linkage to you. Also, an interesting bill um, that our senator is uh, sponsoring, Senator Dillon, um, or Senator Roberts, sorry. Um, is a bill that would give counties flexibility to incent long-term rentals and potentially other desirable uses. Yeah. Um, so there could be, you know, some new uh, opportunities coming yeah. from the state. Hopefully they could ask the question, too, do these pan out? Are they used? Are they utilized by communities? I know some communities have approved it. Um, I don't think there's any too many legal hurdles to do this. I, I could be wrong, but... Depends on yeah. the, the type of incentive right. uh, in the funding. But, um, but um, I'd like to know, if is it a tool that has been successful in other communities? And if, if so, we should look at it. If, if, it, if we found, I think the thing here is that a lot of people say, oh, this, you know, take the, these rental units out of the STR market. Well, is there a response from the STR market to these type of incentives? That's a question I'd like to know. So there, some research has been done, and okay. I think we would be prepared relatively soon to give you an update. Thanks. That's all, Travis. Would I assume the council as a whole would like to get that update? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, second, Douglas Smith's remarks regarding the um, weekend and um, 
great work on the part of the town of Vale and um, folks who work on the mountain. I think the yield management folks might want to have a look at things and maybe some price differencing because service level, Tiffany. Experience, Walmart being stuck with a thousand people at the back of chair five. So um, I think that might be worth looking at, folks. Um, we talked about pesticides on the consent agenda, and I just wanted to ask Kirsten and Beth and if he's still here, <laughs> Peter, um, how important is this to our efforts to restore the gore? Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, good question. It is extremely important. So the, you're referring earlier, we signed on to um, a letter that supports the, uh, the state's allowing local control for regulation of pesticides and uh, that doesn't include ag or anything like that it's just community ability to, to do anything related to pesticide use so uh, very very important we we've saw we've seen incredible benefit on red sandstone creek when pesticide use was changed it's kind of a very little science experiment or is much harder to get your arms around but when that practice changed those numbers recovered in a year. So it was really, it's incredible. So we're, uh, we're meeting with some state legislators this, this week down at the Capitol and, and trying to remind everybody that what, we have one state agency that lists us as on the 303D list of impaired waters for the state for aquatic life. And then we have another agency that says, but you can't, can't do anything about that. So, so one's, um, one's listing us as, as impaired and the other one's keeping us there. Yeah, and <laughs> so you know we've been listed now, uh, we got listed in late 2011, early 2012. So. It's been a really long time. You know, we thought we could turn everything around in five years, and now I'm much older and much grayer, and we still have not turned it all the way around. But I mean, we've made a lot of lot of progress, yeah. so it's it's better. Um, but but we continue to put money and resources toward this, and and uh, getting a handle on on chemical use in the town is very important. So thanks for your support on that. And I'm assuming you'll let us know if you use anything else from us. Well, the people in Pollinators the Network uh, they do they do employ two lobbyists, so um, so that's helpful, and I think. Uh, once we make some headway this week and get a little bit further down uh, the road this year, we'll, we'll be back to you if we need more resources. But it seems like it, at least we're moving in a positive direction. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks very much. That's all I have, sir. Um, <clears throat> thanks to everyone who turned out for the Ski with the Electeds last Friday. Maybe we should schedule that in November with the start of the storm. How about Beach with the Electeds? <laughs> um, the, other, the other thing that I just wanted to report is the, the Civic Area Plan Committee will start uh, with the meeting on Thursday and get that process moving. So that's it. Um, I'll go because we can end with Sam. Um, can we remove the construction sign at residences in Mainville? I believe we have completed that project. We certainly could. It's the one that's by the no, rock. Yeah, okay. Thank Good you. observation. And then a little friendly ski patrol reminder. Ropes are not there to practice your limbo. Ropes are there to keep you out of closed terrain. Please do not stand in front of me. Lift the rope up. Ski under and then say, what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you'd think it was funny. And then I didn't really appreciate the guy who said, well, the gate's just over there. It's okay. And I said, no, no, no. Um, but yes, ropes are your friend. They're there for your safety. Please don't cut them. Uh, use open access points to enter an open run. Otherwise, it is considered closed. Um, and... While it may seem like it's an entry onto a open run or a run, 
when you ski through a sign structure, under the sign, but between the two four by fours, that is not the entrance to a run. <laughs> Dude, that's a case. So just use your brains. Have fun. It's great out there. Great skiing. I think we got over 30 inches of snow. Mm -hmm. A lot of big smiles this weekend. A lot of cold toes. But um, uh, thanks to the snowplow drivers at the town of Vale. Thanks to all the lifties at Vale Resorts and all the food service folks. Um, and it feels like winter. So you're up, Barry. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Thanks for today's late start that uh, allowed me to attend some very important makeup meetings in Sundown Bowl. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I was just really impressed with the mountain staff this weekend. I know they had a, a very tough and challenging, um, you know, this was a pressure test for everyone's guest service, uh, high expectations on the town and on the mountain and, uh, some challenging conditions. So, um, to reiterate some things we've heard from public comment and other members on council, are really proud of our town staff. Um, they had some challenges, especially with the VMS early closure, um, the other day. Um, I got some public comment from uh, someone who could not attend tonight that also was uh, just wanted to say how impressed they were with our streets crew, keeping the, route, the roads plowed, the traffic, the congestion from I-70. Um, and they also wanted to add to remind commercial plower drivers not to plow in on the sidewalks, forces pedestrians dangerously into the road. Um, and there's a lot of snow to move, but sidewalks are not the place. Um, thank you, Mike Griffin, for that. And I just also wanted to remember that while MLK weekend is a fantastic extra day of skiing, I just uh, would encourage people to reflect on what MLK Day holiday is about and the words and vision of Dr. King and uh, maybe reflect on those and how relevant it is in today's world. Um, I will echo that the town staff, Public Works, you guys did an amazing job, code enforcement, has done a better job uh, kind of handling Hanson Ranch Road traffic. Our guests that seem to get lost a little bit and uh, every time we have a school break in Texas, the traffic patterns change in Vail. Um, that being said, also the mountain staff did an incredible job. The pressure that ended up at the bottom of five and 17 was because all the rest of the back bowls were closed and all of our guests ended up there. It wasn't due to any other reason except for snow safety. Uh, so to Travis and uh, my patrol brothers and sisters that have worked tirelessly and been on early hours for about eight days straight doing avalanche mitigation work as well as the lifties that have to shovel out all those lifts, I commend them for getting the area open under very challenging conditions and getting the amount of terrain open that they did. Um, so these are our neighbors, our friends, people we shop with and have beers with, and uh, they deserve all the condemnation or support, not condemnation. <laughs> condemnation. <laughs> sorry, that's a bad word in these. In these <laughs> that's a bad word in these chambers. Sorry, um, but yeah, it's a community effort, and uh, I think we're all working really hard to deliver the best product we can. I will close that loop as the pe person who saw the people after the skiing. No one commented on lift lines. Everyone was stoked. Super happy to be out there. It was a really fun weekend. Um, 
What else do I have? Okay, I'm really excited to see that one of the public works bids that just went out for main Vale roundabout work included turf grass reduction and introducing native plants. Let's keep that up everywhere. I love it. Setting the example. Um, and then my other thing is, some people are going to be shocked I'm saying this, but <clears throat> I think... Um, so a recent news article just came out about how this was one of the worst years for bighorn sheep health. And the main reason for it is respiratory disease, mostly caused by mingling with domesticated animals. And I don't think whether what, no matter what side of the Booth Heights issue you were on, I don't think anyone would be happy to see the 17, the 12, the 22, whatever million dollars we end up spending going to waste because they mingled with domestic goats at Vale Stable. <laughs> so I'm curious as a town, could we put more pressure on the Forest Service for that permit? I don't know, I just could you imagine if that happened? The sheep got a respiratory disease after all of this? That would be crazy. <laughs> Jonathan, I'd support that. No, I would absolutely support yeah. going after the Forest Service. I mean, it's their permit, so I think. But I think if there's anything we can do, I mean, there's someone maybe, just um, someone just bought out grazing allotments. Maybe begin I with read. Numbers. Are you speaking specifically about the goat yoga? Well, I think I think that's one grazing. thing. But the grazing allotments in proximity. No, yeah, of the we're sheep. talking about the. Yeah, yeah, but I think goat yoga as well. Yeah, allotments yeah. that have been here for years and years. Yes, yeah. worth the conversation with the goat yoga purveyors. Yeah, definitely. Okay. We could make some inquiries. <laughs> motion to adjourn. Second. All right, we've got a motion. Oh, were you were done, Sam? All done. Okay. We got a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. I am also in favor. Any opposed? Thank you. Motion carries 7 0. Thanks, everybody. Aye.